Hello, Polytopians. Thanks for tuning into the Polytopian Times. I'm your host, Sam, and today we are going to be taking a look at our first special tribe on our revisit to the tribes of Lore and Yore. And the first of our special tribes that we're going to take a look at is potentially the most controversial tribe of them all. It's one you may expect just from that description alone, Simanti. Uh, they're, they're fun to play. They're very asymmetric compared to any other tribe. Very different from all the other tribes, indeed. And um, they have some, some interesting quirks to them that uh, really affect how they play the game. So without any further ado, let's jump right in. The gray, cloudy sky above you looks ready to bring rain to the Simantes' rugged marshes. You sit atop a giant mound of reddish-brown dirt a massive hill sticking out of the gentler, moss-covered slope surrounding it. Clusters of massive, old-growth conifers rise up from the soil, forming huge woods that rival the giant earthen hills in size. Interspersed amongst the trees, you spy giant pink mushrooms with thin, peaked caps, some of them with smaller growths jutting out of the main cap. Further back, beyond them, is a humongous white mushroom, a tower of mycelium sprouting out of the forest. White tendrils run from it off into the distance, a biological highway of sorts. You've been following a chain of these mycelium, their tendrils, ever since you came to the border of the Siru marshes on the edge of the Zabasi lands many days ago. Endless sun-bleached savannas stretching out all around you as you looked up at the imposing pines, rising up to reach the sky. Your destination lay ever further away, deep in the marshes, at the swampy section of forest that the Simanti call their home. You have a very specific goal in mind now that you have your own trading company, one that's going to hopefully take you to unprecedented greatness. But it all depends on doing the nigh impossible, something you flirted with when negotiating with other tribes, but never with such difficulty promised in the deliberations, so many obstacles present before the deal can even be discussed. You eye the route down, following the mycelium trail, and the open marsh just below you is what looks like a massive droplet of dew, supersized. It's a fea nectar, a byproduct of the ecosystem of the Simantes Marsh. Aphaea nectar in the wild is toxic to polytopians, albeit a nutritious treat for the bugs of the marsh, and you know to avoid it entirely. You've heard rumors that the Simanti have their hexapods drink them, and then consume the waste product, a primitive filtration method. You hope it isn't true, as you aren't sure you could follow through if offered, and, and you know the consequences of refusal with this potential deal. From around the hill behind you comes a large yellow shape, wriggling through the trees. As it breaks into the clearing, you see that's a lithetti, in essence a giant yellow grub or caterpillar with a knob of a black head poking out of the end of its body. It crawls towards the nectar serenely, ready for some relaxing grazing. They're rather docile in their grub form and make for an excellent meal, although the adult beetles make for a very dangerous threat, usually lethal to the unprepared. In general, the Simanti cull their herds and the wild population to prevent grubs from reaching adulthood. But on the borders of their territory and beyond, adults are known to survive and stock freely. Looking out past the nectar and the grazing lithetti, you see a swarm of fragile phyche flitting in between the branches of the forest canopy. They have thin, relatively stubby bodies with two sets of wings like a dragonfly would have, capped by a dragonfly-like head. In a clearing beyond the swarm, you see sudden movement. Breaking out of the tree line is a herd of huge tan grubs with a bright green stripe down their backs. They're dumucks. They have two dangerous-looking pointed mandibles in front of four eyes on the side of the chitinous beast's head. Alongside them are giant black beetles with pink spikes on the back of their carapaces, 
that is similar bright green stripe down the middle of the shell and white heads that look strikingly like the Fichis. Those beetles are chitin. Scattered throughout the herd are large, spindly insects with a scorpion-like tail ending in a nub with a black nozzle. They have a bright green stripe running down them as well and the same Fichi-like head. They are Exitas, bugs capable of range bombardment. Looking closer, you see smaller, spidery silhouettes skittering amongst the larger invertebrates. Those are hexapods, with a body structure remarkably similar to the Fichis, the difference being their six gangly legs in place of the Fichis' four wings. The herd begins to move into the forest at the opposite end of the clearing, and you spot several figures of a different genus step out at the back of the moving morass. They're polytopians, garbed in light green, led by a tall one in a black robe, with a strange necklace and a staff topped by a skull. On each of their heads clings a gray insect. The bugs look almost larval. They cover most of the polytopians' heads and faces, so much so that the bugs' eyes cover those of their polytopian hosts. They're Siru bugs. At first glance, it's as though they've been feeding on their polytopian hosts, but the Cymanti have in fact adapted to live symbiotically with the Siru bugs, which merge with their hosts' brains. The specific advantage of this are unknown to those who haven't merged with the Siru, but it can be presumed that there are some, at the very least in the form of the Cymantes control of the insectoid denizens of their swamp. The one leading them with the skull-topped staff must be their shaman, a mysterious figure capable of driving their chitinous hordes into a combat frenzy. It's this shaman, Fyaxo the Flyer, that you've come to parlay with. The Cymanti follow the last of the herd into the trees at the edge of the marshy clearing, heading towards their city. It's a welcome cue, and now you know you're very close indeed. Winding your way around the monumental stumps, you stumble upon a gigantic cluster of gray hives made of a material reminiscent of a paper wasp's hive, rising out of the wild swamp. Openings line the sides of the hive towers, gleaming orange with the Samantes' firelight. The tops of the lower towers are plain, but the taller ones have varying caps, some of them with mottled gray protrusions that look like scales, and some of them topped by glistening black domes of chitin. In those towering hive cities, the Cymanti breed their terrifying, massive, venomous bugs, training them for battle. In warfare, the Cymanti prefer to hobble their enemies with poison, lining up for the kill and using their enemies' remains to spread spores and fertilize their fungi farms. At the end of the day, that's what the Cymanti, and more specifically the symbiotic Siru bugs, want to spread. It's something you have to keep in mind in your negotiations. Ohori, you must both leverage and curtail. All of the current-day Cymantes stemmed from an expedition to set up a new colony after the Civil War of the Ancients, but many, many turns ago still. The Zabasi sent them out from their endless savanna, worried about their missing colonists, and they sent out scouts to find their missing brethren. In the mists of the marsh they were lost, one by one, to the rapacious Siru and the ravenous invertebrates of the forest, all except for two lone rangers. They arrived separately, but both told similar tales of horror. They had traveled for many days into the depths of the marsh, far from civilized lands. There, in the deeply forested swamp, they had lost cohesion, beset upon by hungry lithetti beetles, and had fled in all directions. The lucky ones were driven deeper into the swamp, away from the drier stomping grounds of the larger beetles, into the maze-like groves where the wild dumucks preyed upon herds of hexapods. Those who were able to keep their senses about them and climb swiftly out of sight at a moment's notice were able to regroup high up in the swamp and renew their search for the colonists before retreating. It wasn't long before they found them. In the deepest part of the swamp, the scouts came upon a cluster of strange gray paper mounds, dotting the earth atop a ridge between the colossal conifers. 
The scouts were exhilarated, thinking they had finally found their lost comrades. But upon reaching the village, they found to their disgust that the polytopians they had spied from afar had giant insects covering their heads, and their movements had something to the gate that felt unnatural to watch. In dawning fright, the scouts realized these were no longer their long-lost colonists before the merged Siru hosts attacked all at once. Hexapods and Fichi bursting out of the trees to drag terrified scouts into the underbrush screaming. Only nine scouts made it out of the village, and they made a mad dash for home. A Dumux attack scattered them on their retreat, and the surviving rangers had little to speak of their return but shadows in the mist and skittering in the dark as they fled mindless with fear into the formless gloom between the trees for days alone. Eventually, the two surviving rangers returned within a day of each other and recounted their tales to the elders, but no one knew truly what had happened to the Zabasi they had sent into the mist. This was a tale everyone on the square knew by now, at least those with worldly experience. The insectoid denizens of the marsh had unnerved the rest of the polytopians since they had first emerged all those turns ago, and you kept it close in mind as you made your perilous journey. This would be a unique offering, though, one you couldn't expect elsewhere that could change the balance of Yadaki society. Aerial delivery for your trade routes, using the fichi that flitted about this swamp in such large droves. The nimble flies could make short-range deliveries in the fraction of the conventional time frame, and you would be able to traverse above difficult terrain with ease, allowing you to outcompete with every conventional trading company, including the HTC. Sure, for years you'd still have to pay them royalties, but the patent for aerial delivery would be yours, and over time the balance of profits would sway to favor you. With any luck, you could become the head of your own horn trading company. All you need to do is manage to make a deal with the merged Siru that had run off those rangers so violently. All those turns ago. And that, Polytopians, is a brief look at the lore for the Simanti. I hope you enjoyed that. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's a nice look at the lore, but let's take a look at some of the details about the environment they live in, uh, a little more concretely in relation to the game. So, starting off with their resource and terrain spawn rates, they have slightly higher than average mountain spawn rates, average forest and field spawn rates, Slightly higher than average fruit spawns, although nowhere near tribes like a Umaji, let alone Imperius or Quetzali. Fairly average fungi spawns comparable to farms, although the fungi give you all three population without needing a windmill included in there, uh, whereas like a farm is going to need a windmill to give you the extra pop per farm. Uh, they're also guaranteed to have at least two spores in their capital city ready to make fungi so they can get level ups and you know, keep development going uh, at a reasonable rate. Now, uh, they have average wild game spawn rates, so not a lot of animals to go after, but not terrible either. Uh, they do have a higher than average metal spawn rate, although they're not quite a chinchi or IMO level, um, but that's still, that's something they can leverage. That's something they can uh, keep in their wheel book. And uh, taking a look at their starting tech, they begin with farming. Of course, they can't make standard farms. They instead make fungi with that tech. And uh, that's just something to keep in mind there. And there's been some other tech changes, so uh, let's take a brief moment to look at the different techs that have changed beyond farming. So next down, we have uh, recycling. So that's instead of construction, which would give you windmills. Recycling gives players the decompose ability, uh, and that allows them to destroy any building within their borders and get the full cost and stars back at the end of the turn. Keep in mind, it's not instantaneous, and uh, you also don't get that uh, windmill equivalent. 
but um, it still sort of matches out at the end of the day. Um, you just have to pay a little extra to get there to actually make the windmill uh, and get the three pop per farm versus just the two. Um, it's, you know, that, that's including a separate building, so it's not quite as efficient. It's still not terrible, though. Um, anyways, beyond that, it's, um, it's a pretty nifty way to do some scorched earth. You can take down any enemy buildings you need before you leave. Say you've lost uh, a siege and you need to make sure you're not going to lose all your stuff. Well, that's a good way to make sure you can um, burn everything down and uh, you know really stick it to a very difficult foe um, before you need to go back on the offensive. They'll have to spend a rebuild or just deal with uh, a city that's not going to give them any benefit at all. Uh, make it a zero-sum change. Uh, past recycling, we have hydrology, and that replaces sailing. And that allows players to build algae. After hydrology, you have oceanology, and that replaces navigation. It allows a Simanti player to make Rachi, which are their only dedicated naval unit. Lastly, we have shock tactics, which replaces chivalry, and that allows Simanti players to make Dumux, a powerful late game unit. Um, although they've certainly been nerfed pretty hard uh, recently in terms of their overall effectiveness. Now, different technologies and a few different units aren't the only thing. There's some different special buildings here, too. And uh, first off, obviously, we have the fungi. And uh, we've talked about those for a bit, but um, just to rehash, they cost five stars to make, uh, and you'll get that out of spores. That'll give you three population over the course of three turns. Uh, the first population on the turn they're built, then a population the turn after, and one the turn after that. So it does take another two turns to uh, allow them to fully grow. They also do poison enemy units that pass through them, although I don't believe they poison bug units. Uh, beyond that, we have the mycelium. Those replace roads. Now, uh, they cost five stars to make, and instead of being something you'll lay down on every tile in between cities you want to connect, they link up nearby cities with their root system. So they connect any cities within three tiles of the mycelium through field and forest. Now, uh, that means a single mycelium can be used to connect, like, three or four cities at only five stars, which is a lot cheaper than laying down a whole road network. However, you don't get like um, a movement bonus with that, so that's just something to keep in mind there. Also, mountains and uh, if you don't have clathrises in place, water are going to block connections. So that's something to keep in mind as well. You will need uh, another one of these special um, buildings, the clathris, to uh, actually make city connections across the water. Uh, there's also a single limit of one mycelium that can be built per city, so you want to be careful with where you're sticking yours down. Uh, you don't want to put it somewhere where you're going to wind up with um, basically a permanent disconnect from the rest of your cities until you buy recycling and then recycle that mycelium. Uh, and one thing to keep in mind with these two is that they uh, do heal all units around them. So it's uh, effectively like having a structure with the ability of a mind bender in terms of healing um, but they can't be killed. So um, you can, when you're placing it amongst uh, the considerations, uh, you also want to keep in mind um, their purpose is sort of a medical field station. Uh, definitely don't overlook that value there. Now the next different uh, building is on the sea, and that's the ever-important algae. That replaces ports, um, but it's very radically different. Functions a lot more like um, Polaris's ice in that it uh, allows units to walk over it, 
um, rather than embarking and turning into a different sort of unit. Um, so it's basically a bridge, a bridge you can build tile by tile. Now you build this bridge either by choosing to build it the traditional manner, um, by exploding a, ro a rechi. When a rechi explodes, it leaves behind a uh, algae on the tile, or by poisoning a unit and then having that poisoned unit die, which uh, any poisoned units in the water will leave behind algae where they died, uh, unless there's already algae on the tile, in which case they won't double up the algae. It'll just stay with the, uh, the one algae piece. Um, now, a thing to keep in mind with them is algae can provide uh, rough terrain in the water. It can be sort of a soft wall to um, slow down naval invasions. Uh, if you put out enough of it in the water, meaning they can't just snipe you and then swoop right into your city. They'll have to um, literally get uh, within contact of the city, then kill the unit to be able to move into it because they can only move a single tile through the algae. Um, so it can shift a defensive into your favor so you can shift onto the counterattack. You do very well with that. And uh, that's just something really to keep in mind. They cost five stars to build within your borders rather than the ten stars for a port. And uh, they are going to be essential for the very next build on the list, which is the Clathris, which is the replacement for Customs Houses and um, the port connection function at sea. So Clathrises cost five stars to build, and they have to be adjacent to an algae tile. They generate a star per turn for every algae tile they're adjacent to, like a Customs House would with ports, but at half the cost with half the return on investment as well as serve as connecting hubs for mycelium for their cities over water. They also poison enemy units that stray atop them, functioning in that manner like fungi in the water. But um, I don't believe you can purposely walk on them, so that would be more uh, a naval unit sailing over them. Although, really, most uh, naval units are going to want to avoid them anyways. Now, that's not the only special and different thing about Cymanti. We also have some special units. Uh, so. Starting off, let's start with their most basic, but probably their most iconic unit, the Hexapod, which replaced Riders. They cost three stars to make, have five health, three attack, one defense, two movement, and the dash, escape, creep, and sneak abilities. The creep ability allows units to move through rough terrain like forests and mountains without a movement penalty. Sneak allows units to move past enemy units without stopping. They're excellent raiders and good for rapid expansion as well. They're the stalwart of a Manti player's early and mid-game, oftentimes used in conjunction with warriors and Faichi in the still developing battlefield. Although uh, they're not going to be as useful on the defense, though there are some ways you can use them, mainly keeping some in a reserve to kite forward, do some damage, and then run back up into the, uh, the mist back there. Uh, that creep ability is extremely useful for this, and Snake also allows them to uh, move right where they need to to get the right kill in. So um, definitely something you want to try and keep alive. Maybe you can get some vets and they'll actually have 10 health to be as good as a standard rider in that uh, regard there. Although, uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, it's a unit you have to remember is uh, a bit flimsy. Um, basically, any unit in the game can one-shot them if they get attacked. And if they can't one-shot them, they can at least do punishing levels of damage. However, and counterpoint, the hexapods are also punishing on the offensive, especially when they've been boosted by a shaman. And uh, that's something we can talk about in a second here. Next, let's move on to our next uh, melee-ish unit down the list, Titans. They replace defenders. 
They cost 3 stars to produce, have 15 health, 1 attack, 3 defense, 1 movement, and the poison ability. That allows chitons to poison their enemies when they attack them and when they counterattack while defending. They function like defenders, but are even less pleasant to attack. They, as was just mentioned, deal damage and poison when attacked. Poison units lose all their defense bonuses, and when they die, they spread spores that fungi can be grown from or make algae in the water. This can make an offense that falters against a line of chitons get obliterated the next turn by raiding hexapods. You can take full advantage of the crippled defenses. Just keep in mind, chitons don't have the fortify abilities. They are not the strongest units Simanti has available for city defense. After that, there's the Fichi, which replace archers and um, are perhaps one of the most versatile units that Simanti has, although certainly not the most powerful by any means, although they are a fan favorite and many people do love them. They cost three stars to make, have five health, one attack, one defense, two movement, and a range of two tiles. So the stats are rather underwhelming there, but it's their abilities that make them special. They have the dash, poison, surprise, and fly abilities. They can do damage in large numbers, but serve best as a cost-effective way to deliver poison to an enemy at a range, weakening them for a strike by a melee unit like a hexapod. Or, again, just um, to send out a swarm of flies with the fly swarm. The fly ability allows them to fly over any terrain without a movement penalty, and this means they can be the cheapest option for Samanti to start exploring overseas in the early and early mid-game. They can also serve as a cheap way to supplement naval combat with cities that are otherwise landlocked and thus unable to produce Raichi to assist with the fight. And um, in general, just can send out a very persistent swarm for exploration, if nothing else. Uh, the surprise ability is another wonderful thing about Fai and that allows them to attack enemies without fear of counterattack, like a dagger. They're fragile, but easy to spam and versatile in their various utilities. The other ranged unit, and the only other ranged unit the Simanti have, are Exidas, which replace catapults. They cost 8 stars, have 10 health, 3 attack instead of 4, 1 defense though instead of 0, and 1 movement, and a range of 3 tiles. They have the poison and splash abilities. Splash in this case doesn't do damage to those surrounding units, but it instead it just sort of poisons them, but it does function much like a dragon's fire blast otherwise. Except, again, it doesn't do damage to anything around the target, only to the target itself. A few Xidas can soften up entire enemy front lines and end sieges, and they're the only effective way for a Simanti player to respond to a threat from a range, um, without resorting to just spamming a horde of flies. But, uh, again, they're not the most effective way to get kills compared to um, masses of Xidas. Although Exidas are going to be, I think, at the end of the day, for the cost, far more vulnerable. And it's only going to be something you see in the mid and late game. Now, they have more defense than a catapult would, which makes them uh, a lot more resilient when they go to the front line. And you want to make sure you prioritize getting them a defense bonus so you can really capitalize on that. They're a lot more like archers in terms of how they uh, fare once they're at the front line. But they behave exactly like uh, catapults in terms of logistics movement and uh, other performance. At the end of the day, you're going to want to keep them safe. You'd be surprised how useful those suckers can be. Up next, after the Exito, we have the Indomitable Dumux, which replace knights. They cost 10 stars, have 20 health, 4 attack, 2 defense, 3 movement, and the dash creep and explode abilities. Explode allows a unit to detonate, which inflicts poison 
and collateral damage to surrounding enemies. Once upon a time, this was a quite powerful ability and very, very good, although recent updates have really uh, broken the Dumux's role for a Symanti player now that uh, Explode was, I believe, reduced by 50% uh, damage reduction. That's, uh, it was a pretty big nerf, and it hit more than just the Dumux, uh, but it certainly did hit the Dumux notably. Now, uh, Dumux are strong when used as a more permanent cavalry unit, and they they obviously can be blown up for immediate devastation, but um, I don't know. It, you shouldn't underestimate the difficulty of throwing out masses of Dumux just to blow it up if you don't have the production already have an edge. They're very expensive to produce. Uh, at 10 stars, they're the most expensive unit that the Symanti have to make. So you want to make sure you do get the maximum amount of damage possible for the amount of storage for the amount of stars you're going to be dropping on them. As, you know, just using them to blow up a single defender is going to be a losing trade. They're going to be your late game mainstay, although, again, they're nowhere near as effective as they once were, so keep that in mind. You'll definitely be using them in a melee role more often than as a uh, explosion role. I mean, still, even in the current meta, if done properly, Dumux spam can be overwhelming in the late game, especially once they're boosted. But uh, they're going to be, again, more for land battles. They're very expensive. Sure, they can fight on the sea with algae, of course. But um, again, for the cost, they're just not worth it. And um, it's, it's not something you're going to rush on out. You, you do have to use a little more care with them these days than you once did. Um, if you get to the point where you're using Dumux, you've uh, probably given yourself a winning advantage anyways, in my eyes. Um, certainly good units, but uh, not the end-all be-all for Symanti anymore. Next up, we can look at C for the Voracious Raichi, which replaced both ships and battleships, uh, alongside the Fight Chief, of course. They cost 8 stars to make, have 15 health, 3 attack, 2 defense, 3 movement, and the dash, creep, explode, float, and navigate abilities. So the cost of a new Raichi at 8 stars is roughly exactly the same as it would cost to make a Defender Boat, which would have roughly the same stats except... Uh, a little bit less attack power, however, it would be able to do damage from a range, which Raichi cannot do. On the other hand, uh, Raichi do have, again, some pretty nifty abilities. Uh, float allows them to move on the water. Uh, navigate allows them to move in any terrain, even if they don't have the tech necessary to move there, meaning they can move on any portion of the water, and even into cities. Um, and it is essential to have navigate because uh, there aren't any techs that Symanti have that actually enable movement in water otherwise. You need to have navigate to do this or flying. Uh, beyond that, Raichi are kind of limited. They can only be spawned in coastal cities that have at least one tile touching the city. Uh, again, that's actually water. Um, otherwise, they can't spawn because they can't move on land past taking over cities. So again, they're limited to whatever body of water they spawn in. And uh, it's also a limit in where you can actually spawn them. And they're also, again, melee only, but they are pretty strong in melee. Uh, you can also explode them to create algae and, you know, uh, damage and poison a mass of enemies at once, similar to what you would do with Dumux. Although, again, likewise, they're pretty heavily nerfed, what with the um, limit to explosion, which means, for the most part, a uh, frugal Symanti player is going to largely be using um, Raichi, for the most part, in a melee role, 
which means they're just going to be getting whittled away turn after turn before they can reach opponents, um, doing less damage than they should. They'll never get an untarnished hit off at that rate if the enemy has enough time and space and vision to actually get a shot off before they can reach them. And uh, the enemy can always just move just out of range to get one more shot off and um, draw out the next Rachie after that. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. They're, they're certainly not perfect. Having Explosion was a, a good way to at least make the sacrifice against things like battleships uh, a little more feasible. And while it still has some impacted, um, I don't know, it just seems to make Symanti less good at naval combat, which is a thing they were already kind of bad at compared to other tribes. Once upon a time, when Hexapods cost only two stars and Rachi cost only five stars, even with some of these other restrictions, you could argue that they still had an advantage in some ways that even the odds, and maybe even gave them an edge in the ability to spam Rachi when possible, but um, in today's meta, that is no longer the case, and they certainly lack in terms of naval warfare, and in fact are kind of the worst tribe at sea. All the other standard tribes have exactly the same naval capabilities in terms of units. Aquarian uh, is obviously the water-focused tribe, and although they aren't amazing and can't, for example, make giant battleships, none of the special tribes can actually, um, they do have tridents, which are amazing. I think everyone can agree at sea or at land. Um, next up, you have Illyrian, who has the ability to just throw dragons and Navalons into combat. Navalons are super giants at sea that are fast and actually good, basically what crabs wanted to be when they grew up. Um, and to top that off, they can just pop out polytors and use those as a cheaper way to get defender strength ships in the water, uh, since they only cost two stars to make. Um, beyond Illyrian, we have Polaris, whose entire gimmick is about subverting your expectations about naval combat, and they're very strong with it. Yes, technically they don't have any naval combat to speak of whatsoever. Everything they do is on ice, but at the end of the day, I would argue they're actually rather strong in naval situations because they do draw a lot of strength from utilizing the ice. And um, Symanti has some ways to get across water, some units that can exist in it, but that's really it. They don't have anything that really puts them on par with giant battleships being used on mass. And I think that's... Um, one of their weakest points, and something that really limits them as a tribe overall, especially as some of these uh, these later updates continue to nerf the tribe, um, update after update. So the last insectoid the Symanti command are the Behemoth Centipedes. They replace giants. They're earned by leveling cities up to level 5 or beyond that. They have 20 health, 4 attack, 3 defense, 2 movement, and the dash creep and eat abilities. With the Eat ability, when a centipede kills an enemy unit, it creates a new segment on its body, growing in length for each kill. This brings us to the secondary portion of the centipede's body, the segment. Each segment has 10 health, 2 attack, 2 defense, 1 movement, and the creep, explode, and independent abilities. Independent just means that the segments don't count against the population of the centipede's home city, so it never counts as more than one population used. An interesting thing about segments is that if the head of the centipede is destroyed, but a segment but a segment lives. The surviving segment turns into a brand new full hull centipede head. This makes them tough adversaries to kill before they get a chance to grow. It also means if you, say, cut them in half taking out a segment in the middle, you can actually create two centipedes, um, which can be a very big problem. 
Now, they are very vulnerable to enemy mindbenders in this state, though, uh, having many segments that are convertible uh, that the head might not be able to actually reach and defend, meaning uh, it basically a mindbender can just stroll up to the side of uh, a centipede once the head's three or four tiles past, and then just tap it and get the whole thing easy when they, they can't even run away uh, to get the segment that's near to the mindbender away from it. However, even with that in mind, with those beautiful strong stats, good movement, and the dash ability, they make threatening figures on the battlefield, able to chop through front lines and seize enemy cities irrevocably. They're only fast while they're only as big as their head, though, as they become limited to the single-tile movement of the segments on their body once they grow. They can choose to explode segments at will, however, which can free the head up to dash towards an opponent, or deal damage and poison to all surrounding enemies, again, unfortunately, nerfed to 50% of what it used to be, or they can just seed an empty tile with spores so more fungi can be grown later. You're going to want to use your centipedes wisely. They're very powerful and are arguably Symantis' best unit, next to, perhaps, the Dumas. The last special unit the Symanti field are their shamans, the titular unit you start the game with, which replace mindbenders. They cost 5 stars, have 10 health, 1 attack, 1 defense, 1 movement, and the convert and boost abilities. Convert allows units to convert an enemy unit to their side by attacking it. Boost replaces heal and allows shamans to give surrounding friendly units a temporary increase in their attack and movement. It's a very strong ability that makes shamans very valuable tools for a Symanti player allowing them to keep up a stream of reinforcements to the front or guarantee one-shot kills on warriors and below in terms of health and defense. Boosting can also give you the advantage you need to overwhelm enemy defenses and even capture cities. Don't underestimate its value. The Symantis start with a Shaman in their capital and it's one of the strongest tools in their arsenal in the early game, allowing them to pull off stunts they otherwise wouldn't be able to. You'll generally want to keep that Shaman alive and get more. Besides, you'll get a tech discount too. Overall, uh, this is a very different tribe from what we've covered so far in Season 4 of this podcast, and they have some unique perks and drawbacks to them. They're very strong offensively. Fungi give you three population. They have very unique abilities, access to cheap and strong grider replacements, road networks that serve as field hospitals instead of highways, however, so that does come with its own counterpoint. Uh, poison, they can... Uh, Add to enemy units is a status effect that eliminates an opponent's defensive capability and explosions that do radial damage to opponents, although again, heavily reduced. Um, they do, however, have some kind of severe drawbacks, more so now than they used to. Once upon a time, you could argue they were rather OP in the meta of the game. Nowadays, I would honestly have to rank them in maybe the mid to low B tier. There's certainly not a bad tribe, nowhere near the worst tribe in the game, but there is certainly nowhere near the best tribe in the game anymore either. And these drawbacks are kind of the reason why. They have a relatively weak naval game, especially in the late game, a deficit of capable ranged units. The Exeda is their only hard hitter. Their insect units don't have fortify bonuses, so they aren't ideal for a city defense, even though the Chitin is a defender replacement. Hexapods and Fichi have almost no health and defense, so they're extremely risky to produce near the front line and can wind up not being a viable option due to proximity to enemies alone. And their replacement for the Customs House has half the potential return on investment. So those are all things that can certainly cause some issues for players uh, trying to use Samantha.
Well, let's take a look at some basic strategy thoughts. Starting off, Simanti has a decent amount of flexibility to their start, being able to go for both territory expansion and economic growth early on. My favorite start is uh, on the first turn to move your shaman out of the capital and then create a fungi there. And then that's going to let you level up your city on the next turn. You're going to take the workshop with your level up, produce a warrior, and boost it with your shaman. The turn after that, you're going to send your boosted warrior off into the fog. Uh, terrain allowing, of course, you'll be able to get both full movements. Uh, if you're hemmed in by forest or something, unfortunately, you only get them on. And that, that does hurt because um, you do want to get the full boosted movement to really leverage the bonus of the boost in terms of exploration. Um, anyways... You send your warrior off to the fog, say that goes very well. Uh, produce another warrior, and then you're going to boost that with your shaman. You should now be able to buy the second fungi in your capital for the next level up while exploring with your two new boosted warriors. Uh, it's up to you whether you use your shaman for exploration or you decide to keep it safe in your capital for future boosting. When the fungi levels up your capital the second time, that's the second fungi giving you the second level up, you're going to take those five stars instead of walls. I want to remember um, Simantes, bugs don't get fortified, so there's not really as much of a point. Swordsman can use it, and that's your best defensive unit, but honestly, it's generally just not worth it. Better to get the five stars with its tribe. And that's going to give you enough funds to get a tech like riding or hunting, which is going to move you closer to Fichi or Hexapods, depending on your specific situation. Your next steps here are yours to choose, although here's a word of advice. The earlier you can get and utilize the centipede, the better for the shock and awe factor of it. So, uh, let's uh, go with some really high-level general advice. Um, with all the changes to the meta these days, I'm not trying to go too crazy with things. And I want to leave Simanti a little bit more open book. A lot of people think it's overpowered. A lot of other people like me may think that some of these changes are rather unfair, and now they're kind of disappointing to play as. And... Um, I don't want to get too involved with the controversy there. I'm not super happy with the changes myself, but uh, I want to allow people some freedom as they learn how this tribe plays in the new meta. I'm just going to offer some simple general observations that have done me well, and maybe some uh, specialized strategies I do still use, even with all these changes. And generally, you're going to want to go for centipedes, not just early on in the game, although early on the better. But throughout the course of the game, no other unit is going to provide you such good offensive options while allowing you to still develop your economy in the process of producing them, which is going to keep you out of the aggro hole. Very important. They're one of your most surefire ways to successfully siege an opponent in the early and early mid-game, and literally, they never become obsolete. You're going to want to use them wisely and keep them safe. A skilled opponent will focus on eliminating them from the tails of the head. And they can quickly be overwhelmed if sent in unsupported. So make sure you aren't throwing your centipedes alone to try and take over a city off to die. They're very valuable assets you don't want to waste. Now, some of these uh, more specialized strategies are, they really depend on how you want to play your specific run, your specific round of uh, Simanti. Uh, for a new cheeky one, the newest one I've come up with is just mass-boosted cloaks. Uh, I say you go with diplomacy down there. Well, cloaks are kind of limited in movement normally, but with a boost, you can get them to move extra fast, which means you can sneak them up much faster than an opponent might expect them to be. You can also use these boosted cloaks as rapid explorers. Um, 
I mean, in the late game, let's say you don't have any cities left to level up and get Explorer's Whip, well, you can uh, send off one of these cloaks into the mist to try and keep a distance away, hopping from mountain to mountain, see how much they can uh, uncover before they're discovered by an enemy unit, if they are. Otherwise, you might be able to just use them in a backline city to really sow some chaos. Beyond using boosting to give your cloaks the uh, extra edge they need, you can always look at uh, a nice simple combination that seems to do well, especially in the early and mid game, and that's using a combination of hexapods, shamans, or just your starting shaman and mycelium. So you'll place your shaman on the mycelium and put your hexapods around them. The hexapods are going to run out and strike, raid, hit enemy units, try and kill them in one shot, or do as much damage as possible before running back to the mycelium to be healed. Now, the shaman that's there is also going to be able to boost them. So they'll both get healed and boosted in that same turn, ready to go out next turn with full striking power. And a boosted hexapod is quite powerful indeed. And even if you get raided by riders or warriors or whatever, there's a chance you can convert whatever unit shows up before that shaman is killed. So you do have a little extra impact there. But uh, it can be a, a nice little uh, a way to leverage your starting shaman and you know keep up some raiding. You can also use this sort of tactic of um, boosting hexapods and running them forward and then back to defend your own territory. Say you're under assault from a lot of riders or warriors, um, early game units, that you can clear out with uh, boosted hexapods. Well, running them back and forth like this can uh, keep you alive for quite a few turns while you build up your economy or otherwise come up with a way to counter the situation. Beyond that, there is the quintessential fly swarm, and I know a lot of players love Fai these days and love to use a good fly swarm. And it's simple, you just send out a bunch of Fai all together and uh, they attack the same thing or different things if you really want to attack different things, although. The benefit comes from stacking the damage on. The first Fai does poison and a minimal amount of damage, and every Fai afterwards does increasing amounts of damage to the further weakened and, of course, poisoned unit, which is going to have uh, much lower defense stats than it once would have, making uh, what seems initially to be rather harmless and, um, I don't know, not benign, but not very threatening units become kind of a serious nuisance. Now, beyond that, uh, the quintessential strat I think a lot of uh, players think about is the centipede rush, which is just getting a centipede out as early as possible so you can try and dive bomb right on into an enemy city ASAP. You legitimately, in the early enough early game, you just need to get a centipede outside a city alongside a single warrior, and there shouldn't be anything that can stop you. Bonus points if you can boost one or both uh, units before you get them outside of the city you're going to siege. It's 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 powerful. Nothing special though. And we've mentioned it before. It's it's as much as it is a specialized strategy. It is just general practice to get centipedes with Simanti. That's one of their biggest strengths. And then beyond that, one of my absolute favorite specialized strategies is industrial boosting. Now, what's different about this is. Um, so you do mass boosting with, say, your starting shaman. You have him sit just outside your starting city and have a bunch of units show up uh, around him, and you have him boost multiple units at once and have multiple units show up into the combat boosted and ready to go. But industrial boosting takes us to the next level. You see, you want to set up an industrial process to boost every unit you produce. So you're going to produce a shaman in every city. 
and then in every city, every time you produce any unit, it will be boosted that turn by the shaman that is the resident of that city, ready to keep out a stream of nothing but boosted units out to the front. Industrial boosting is powerful, although it is not a game winner on its own, and you will need to use other strategies to uh, really leverage the power it grants you. It's a great way to supplement your game. But it, again, it's not going to give you your game on its own. Now, that's some general advice and some specialized strategies for playing as Symanti, but how about some advice for playing against Symanti? I think a lot of people who are listening to this podcast right now are going to want to hear about how to give these guys a proper counter. So without any further ado, uh, one of the things you need to keep in mind more than anything else when playing against Symanti is that this tribe, more than any other tribe, is going to need space to grow and fight early on. Otherwise, they're going to find themselves only with frontline cities that can't safely produce their early to mid-game bugs, like hexapods and Baichi, which are going to be necessary for them to make a big difference. Warriors alone, even boosted, aren't going to be enough once riders plus roads come into play. And, well, you want to forward settle them like that, and you want to ensure that happens very quickly and cramp their style hardcore. You're going to want to also see if you can't kill their shaman, if possible. That is one of their other greatest assets in the early game, and once it's gone, they run out of a lot of cheeky plays they could otherwise have made. Now, once poison does come into play, you're going to want to avoid having your forces die and spread spores in the enemy's territory. Uh, it's better to have a poison warrior die on a fungi than on the empty field next to it, because uh, you don't want to give them the chance to farm out more centipedes just by killing your units in failed assaults. But, I mean, above all, you're going to want to make sure you forward settle and keep up the pressure. Once possible, you're going to want to switch over to using Riders Plus Roads. That gives you more mobility and more range than Symanti has, and um, a better ability to raid than they will have, even against um, the Mycelium Towers. So um, the more you can leverage roads along with Riders, the better. They're good even against uh, centipedes, although it might not seem so at first. You can get a lot of riders into one place to kill a centipede in a single turn uh, rather than whittle it down over the course of time. One other thing to keep in mind while you're fighting them besides using riders and roads in combination is to use beefy melee units when necessary on the front lines. Um, warriors and defenders are going to be your best option. Honestly, warriors early on. Defenders, if you need to hold the city absolutely and can't afford swordsmen or don't have the tech yet, or if you can, get, just get swordsmen. Um, those are going to be the best at pushing a stagnant frontline forward while offering fewer options for Symanti players to easily break through and get at you. Uh, you don't want them to get to the soft inside. You want to keep the tough shell up and strong at the front. Now, these melee units are going to be the best at maximizing attrition for your opponent, being able to take hits from units like hexapods and still attack next turn in most cases. Um, even if they get killed, they'll usually have done a, like a significant amount of damage to at least a unit or two in the time. Uh, again, hopefully enough to give you the attrition edge and allowing your sword to the living one to move forward and strike a weakened hexapod the turn after, for example. Um, this is going to be pretty outputting for most Symanti players to come up against, especially when they're facing sword spam with defense bonuses and ranged fire support in place. You know, uh, just think ahead and attack with 
some intelligent plans in place, and you can really swing things in your favor if you play well. Um, one other word of advice is to terminate centipedes with extreme prejudice, and do so from the tail forward. Don't cut them in half. Uh, definitely, if you can't kill them from the tail forward, whittle down the head enough so it can't get another kill, at least not easily. Leave it at one or two health, maybe three or four, but very weakened. And then work on weakening the tail forward so you can uh, maybe get a knight to cut all the way through to the head. Um, you want to take care of them in one go. You need to take them from the rear of the centipede to the front of it to make sure it actually dies and doesn't just uh, refresh as a new centipede or even double up. And you definitely need to get rid of those because they're going to be one of the biggest challenges you'll run into when playing against Simanti. So, at the end of the day, why would you want to play as Simanti? If you want engaging asymmetric gameplay, or to be competitive on a drylands map, although really lakes are going to be risky in anything onwards, going to be really taking a huge gamble as to whether or not you're stymied just by having a bad naval game or not. But uh, yeah, and you'll do better on you know medium or maybe slightly smaller maps. Definitely not cage matches because they need a little bit of space to play in obviously. But there's still a fun and strong tribe, even if they're not the strongest in the game anymore. And uh, that's something to enjoy about them. Well, this wraps up our conversation about the Simanti. Now, uh, I want to thank you as always for tuning in. And uh, we don't really have any plugs for today's episode. I know um, there's been some goings on in the community. I believe the next season of Poly Champions is going, but um, I trust you'll be able to hop onto Polymain and browse around yourself and um, pop on over to the Discord, the Polytopian Times Discord, if you get a chance. Our mentoring program is going very well, and uh, there's a lot of potential there. We're always looking for more mentors, so say you don't think you need to be trained, but you think you have the right grits to get out there and teach someone else how to become a pro, well, do pop on and offer that too. We're always interested in getting more mentors as well. And uh, otherwise, I just want to thank you all as always for tuning in and uh, until next time, see ya!